The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. So today is Mother's Day, and of course, first thing on my mind today is my lovely, beautiful wife, Rebecca, extraordinarily godly woman, incredible mother, and all those things are absolutely true. I'm telling you to rack up as many points as I can today, okay? Just got to rack them up. I also reached out to my mother and my mother-in-law. Wish them a happy Mother's Day as well. And um, but another thing on my mind at Mother's Day is thinking through, um, there's a lot of mothers in, in ancestry that have a piece of our story, that they there be a piece of them we carry with us. And so I have a friend, uh, his name is Robert, and he helps, uh, he's helped me over the years, like put together um, our genealogy. And so he's got all mapped up on a website. And so I was kind of poking around in there this week and looking at some of these ancestors. And, and it's, it's interesting when you get like far back to people that you've never heard of. And you know, it, this could be just one elaborate prank that Robert is playing on me, just putting random pictures in there that I wouldn't know any difference, okay? But I believe these are my ancestors. And so, um, so I, I went back, and this is one of the oldest ancestors I could find that actually has a picture here. Let, go ahead and bring that up. This is Marie Jorgensen. She's a looker, as you can see. You guys laughing at my grandmother, man? Please. This is my great-great-grandmother. I have to start a fight with some of you. Okay, this is my great-great-grandmother um, from Denmark, okay? And when I see this picture, you know, I, she's, as a great-great-grandmother, this is kind of a stranger to me, you know, if... if You'd show me this picture, I, I would have had you know, no connection to this. But once I see the picture, if you've ever done ancestry, and by the way, when you, there's sometimes it's just a big mystery, but sometimes you can find some pieces. And what you find, I mean, you find the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between. But when I look at these pictures besides the story, I start looking, if you've ever done this before, I start looking to see if I can see a family resemblance to any of my family members, like an uncle or a cousin or a grandparent. And a while back, I actually saw a great-great-grandparent that was like a sp the spitting image of my uncle. I sent them both pictures, and I was kind of looking at that. And, and so there's an interesting dynamic when you look at these ancestors. You're like, wow, their blood is running through my veins. Like, th their lives, they're, they're, I'm a piece, a product of their lives. And it's kind of an interesting dynamic to think about is think about all these mothers who have gone before that I'm a product of their story. And so in this, this story we're talking about in Ruth, it comes to this crescendo at the end, the conclusion of it in Ruth. And the whole story is a picture of this idea of redemption. And it shows, this, the story shows this is what redemption is. And we've heard the word, we've heard the term, but it, it helps us understand this dynamic. And when we get to chapter 4, the idea of motherhood ends up being a key theme in the story of Ruth, a key component to the whole redemption. And I want to show you the, the beautiful conclusion of the story in Ruth chapter 4. Before you jump into there, let me just give you a reminder of, of the story of Ruth to get you caught up if you're just joining us through this series. The story of Ruth starts with a woman named Naomi. 
And Naomi has a husband named Elimelech, and they move out of Israel into this other country, a a neighboring enemy country of Moab. And while they're there, they have two sons that each marry Moabite women. And over the course of 10 years um, of that they're married, the sons are married to these Moabite women, none of them are able to have, neither of them are able to have children. And so there's a tragedy that then happens that multiplies their difficulty. Elimelech, the dad, dies, leaving Naomi a widow. And then both sons also die, leaving just tragedy upon tragedy. They're a house that's been marked with death. And so Naomi has no other option to go back, but to go back home. She leaves Moab, she goes back home, and one of her daughters-in-law, this young Moabite woman named Ruth, says, please take me with you. And so Ruth comes back to a foreign land, Israel, and she begins gleaning in the fields, which means she's following as they're harvesting the crops, following the reapers, just picking up the leftovers so that they can survive. And the redemption process begins in these fields, because it turns out they're the fields of Boaz. Boaz, we learn, is extremely generous to Ruth, provides for her and and Naomi, and at the end of the harvest season, Naomi says, hey, did you know Boaz is a relative of my husband's, which means he is a redeemer in our life, which legally meant he could buy them out of debt, buy back their fields, but more than that, he could actually marry Ruth as a relative of Elimelech, Ruth's father-in-law. He could marry Ruth so that they could continue the line of Elimelech because there's no heirs. And so Naomi comes up with this very interesting way for Ruth to suggest to Boaz, and we'll, reach, we'll go back, come back to this in a, in a few minutes, an interesting way for Ruth to approach Boaz and say, will you redeem me? In other words, will you marry me? Boaz says, is, is this really sweet moment. He's honored that she would think of him to do that. And he says, yes, but first I have to go talk to another person another relative who has rights to the fields and to, and to Limelech first. I've got to talk to this other redeemer. That's where we pick up the story in chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to finish out the story today. Ruth, chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. The gate's like town hall for them. That's where they would meet and do um, business. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech, So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi... You also acquire the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I 
cannot redeem it. See how that played out? See what Boaz is doing? He goes to the, where they do business, goes to the gates. The people are passing by. He sees that redeemer first and he pulls him aside. He gets 10 men of the elders. said, okay, everyone sit down. I've got some official transactions to do. He tells this guy, hey, you know um, Naomi, right? The relative of, uh, of um, the wife of our, our relative Elimelech. Well, she's in a hard place now, as you know. And her field um, needs to be redeemed to, to buy it. And so you have first rights of refusal. Would you like to buy it? The Redeemer says, oh, well, yeah, that sounds good. There's, actually, there's going to be a benefit to him financially. So Boaz kind of sets this up a little bit. He says, yeah, yeah, I'll buy it. And he says, oh, okay, great, good to know. He says, by the way, the day you redeem that field, you also redeem, you also need to marry Ruth. Now, he doesn't just call her just Ruth, does he? He says, Ruth the what? Ruth the Moabite. You need to marry Ruth the Moabite because part of the redemption is you need to marry her, have children, so she can continue the line of Elimelech and her husband, both of whom have passed away. There's no heirs to that family. At that point, the Redeemer says, oh, man, I was just looking at, I I don't think I can. I was checking my schedule. I'm all out of redemptive abilities, so I... I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. Okay, now let's walk through this. There's something interesting about how Boaz handled this, specifically when he says Ruth the Moabite, okay? Now, all through this story, she's constantly referred to as Ruth the Moabite. In fact, she's called Ruth the Moabite more often than she's just called Ruth. There's a stigma attached to being a Moabite, And it's more than just Ruth, a foreigner. It's more than just Ruth, that enemy nation, Moab. It's more than just Ruth from Moab, the place where they worship Chemosh, who demands child sacrifice. There's another dynamic there that adds shame to Ruth every time she's called Ruth the Moabite. And to understand that, you have to know the background of the Moabites. Now, before I tell you this story, I got to warn you. Okay, if your impression of the Bible is that it's all like rainbows and unicorns and nice things like that, that's not always the case. The Bible can get pretty gritty. It's, it's real, okay? It's very real. And so, I, but before I tell you this story, I'm going to try and keep it as PG-13 as I can. Here's the background of the story. You remember Abraham. Abraham is the father of all of Israel. Well, he has a nephew named Lot, and Lot and his wife and his daughters, his two daughters, go and live in these wicked, these wicked cities, and there's all kinds of wickedness. Anything you can imagine is happening there, and so God ends up allowing those cities to get destroyed. Lot flees, and in the process, Lot's wife dies, and so it's just Lot and his daughters. Well, they're not married, and there's no eligible bachelors around, and they want to continue their line. They want to continue their descendants, so here's where things get a little interesting. What the daughters of Lot decide to do is to get their dad, Lot, drunk, and then when he's drunk, they have an incestuous relationship with him. It literally uses the phrase, it's a euphemism, they said they went in there and they uncovered their father, that's a euphemism have an incestuous relationship with them, they each end up giving birth to a son. Okay, now track with me here. This is now Lot's son 
and grandson simultaneously. You with me? I'm uncomfortable even just talking about this, okay? Here's what happens. One of those sons is named Moab. The name Moab means of the father. So the name itself points back to incest. So now this guy Moab has all these descendants. They become a people group and then become a nation. And all the surrounding nations, because they're named Moab, remember the scandalous background that this entire people group have. So every time Ruth is called Ruth the Moabite, it's carrying the shame of her ancestry with her. So when Boaz says to this redeemer, he says, hey, you also get Ruth, the Moabite. The guy says, oh, you know what? I'm good, actually. No, thank you. But now what's going on with Boaz? Because Boaz, he wants to redeem Ruth. He wants to marry Ruth. He was honored that she asked him to redeem her. He wants to marry Ruth. So what does Boaz see? What is he seeing that's looking past her, her uh, heritage as a Moabite. Well, that goes back to the way Naomi set up how Ruth asked Boaz to marry her. It's this strange scene we looked at last week. This strange scene and what many scholars believe is what Naomi's doing is recreating that moment of Lot with his daughters, but showing in its place Ruth's character. What happens? Boaz is at the threshing floor. They're feasting. They're feasting on the grain, drinking wine. It says when Boaz, when his, he finished feasting, and his, it says his heart was merry. I'd like to think he wasn't like unconscious drunk like Lot, okay? But he's done feasting and he lies down. Ruth goes to Boaz and she uncovers his feet, just his feet, and does nothing else. Doesn't take advantage of this guy. He wakes up and says, whoa, what are you doing here? And she says, would you, she asks him, would you redeem me by the law so that we can have, uh, that the line of the household I belong to can continue. What's being depicted here, Naomi's recreated the, the beginning of the Moabites, it's been recreated here and so that Boaz sees she's not like her heritage. This woman is a godly woman with character. He says to her, Ruth, you are a worthy woman. It's a picture that helps Boaz not just see her as a Moabite. Now, Boaz, because of his past, is trained to look for godly faith in a Gentile. Why? Because of who Boaz's mother was. Boaz's mother was a woman by the name of Rahab. When the people of Israel were marching around Jericho, and right before the walls came down, there was one woman that lived in Jericho. She was a Gentile, but she helped the people of Israel because she saw that God was with them. And so Joshua had this woman, Rahab, spared. She came and became part of the people of Israel and married a man in Israel, and her son's name was Boaz. 
Boaz knows godliness in a, in a woman that comes from a foreign country and a foreign religion. He knows what to look for, and now he sees Ruth, and he wants to marry her. Now, let's see what happens. Let's keep going. Verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Now let me just stop on this really quickly. It says to, com- to confirm the transaction, the guy took off his sandal and handed it to Boaz, which is a little weird, okay? This was a formal way of like signing a contract. So next time you're like buying a car, Give it a shot. Say, yes, I want this car. Here's my sandal. Okay, just try it. See what happens. I'd be curious. Way this worked is in antiquity, they were, um, the vast majority were illiterate. So there's no written contracts and there's no signatures. So what they would do is in in, in public, in the presence of officials from their tribe or clan or city, what they would do is they would act out the covenant. So if you're selling a field to someone, you might take a twig from your field and in front of everyone, hand it to the guy as if to say, the whole field is yours, and that confirmed it. Well, the deal with the sandal, this comes comes from Deuteronomy. In ancient times, there was the symbol of a man and a woman, a a man and and a wife, was a foot with a shoe. Not very romantic, I agree. Don't include that in your Mother's Day card today, guys, okay? The, the foot is, was symbol, symbolic of the man, the shoe symbolic of a woman. And so when in the Old Testament law, if a man was saying, no, I don't want to redeem the woman, he takes off his shoe symbolically saying, the, the, this, the option is for you, the woman. And so this is the, the custom of, of saying, no, I'm passing on the opportunity to marry Ruth and handing it to Boaz. Okay, Boaz says, he takes the sandal and says, So everyone sees in everyone's presence, I am marrying Ruth, the Moabite. Now let's wrap up the story. I want to read the end of the chapter and then we'll ring it out. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you 
a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to, to him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. This is a really, really beautiful scene. It says, Boaz took Ruth. But at the end of the chapter, it's just Ruth. He takes Ruth as his wife, and they have a child together. Remember, Ruth had been married before, and for 10 years, they were not able to have children. I wonder if Ruth wondered, even in the back of her mind, if this would even be possible. She has a child. And she lays the child in this closing scene, Naomi. The book kind of begins and ends with Naomi. Naomi's holding the child And the women of the town say, blessed are you. God has been a nourisher. He's a nourisher of life. And they name him Obed, which means servant. Servant is more than just like household servant. The idea is like servant as in like servant of God, so like worshiper of God. That's what Obed, the name, means. And then we find out at the end that Obed's son, was a guy named Jesse, and Jesse's son was a guy named David, the King David, the memorable David, the most famous king in the history of Israel. Now, what's happening in this whole story? What you see is here a a picture, the story of, of Ruth. It's a picture of redemption. It's demonstrating What is this concept of redemption? What does it look like? And what you find at the end of this chapter is that all of the pain, the grief, the struggle, the difficulty of these characters all through the story, it all comes back around and it's all made right in the end. And it's presenting this picture, I mean, the idea of redemption, it's like a reclaimed piece of wood. It's like a piece of wood that's been discarded, left aside, left as a trash, piece of trash, and someone says, no, this is valuable, and redeems and reclaims it and turns it in to a treasure. We see these characters that have so much hurt and pain and difficulty, each component of them is turned back around and redeemed, restored, turned back on itself and made into something beautiful. So so look at Naomi. It's interesting. Did you notice that it's the women of the town that bless Naomi? If this was a play the women of the town would be this group of extras that have only two speaking parts in the entire play. One at the beginning, one at the end. 
The one at the beginning is when Naomi returns from Moab and she's lost everything. And they say, Naomi, what happened? And she says, don't call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because the Lord has struck me down. And you see that Naomi is bitter, she's angry at God, but at the very end of the story, she's got life sitting in her lap again. And it's the same voices, the women, that speak to Naomi and say, Naomi, what's happened to you? You are so blessed because the nourisher of life has given you this child. It's the same voices that said, what happened to your house? Your house has been marked by death are the same voices that say, Naomi, look, your house is marked by life. And they say, you've you've been turned from a house of death to a house of life, but then they say, we're going to call this child Obed, worshiper of God, servant of God. So she goes from a house of death to a house of life, and she goes from Mara, bitter at God, to Obed, servant and worshiper of God. Even her bitterness is restored. How about Ruth? Ruth, similarly, she goes from widow to wife. She goes from being abandoned by her husband through death to being found by a husband that will stop at nothing to make her his wife. She goes from barrenness to a birth. She struggles for 10 years to try and have a child with her first husband. And then did you notice all those names in those final verses? There are 10 generations listed there, almost as if to say all of those years are redeemed from 10 years into 10 generations. And now she has the birth of this beautiful child that will carry on the line of her husband. But she also goes from the shame of Moabite. She goes from Ruth the Moabite to just Ruth. She goes from the shame of being a Moabite to being the mother of royalty. She goes from having a a heritage of disgrace to having a lineage of honor. See, it's not just that she had a happy life and all the things she kind of forgot about and she moved on to happy things. It's not just that. The picture of redemption is it takes those things and redoes them into something beautiful. It takes these things and turns them back on themselves until there's something glorious. It works like dominoes tipping back up, like something working backwards and restoring what once was painful and reworking it into something glorious. It's saying that is the picture of redemption. Well, we might hear that and say, oh, well, good for Ruth. That's a happy story for Ruth and Naomi. I mean, that doesn't happen for everybody. I mean, all all of us, I mean, church, all of us have our hurts and things in our past. We have the things that we carry with us. I mean, look look at Ruth. I mean, 
with Ruth and Naomi, I mean, there are things that they did that they're reaping the consequences of and they're, they're mourning and grieving because of. There were things that had nothing to do with them. It was just circumstances that happened to them that, that they had no control over. And sometimes it's just something about them that they had no control over and all of these difficult things. I mean, we relate. We have those things in our life. We have those things that we have in our past that bring shame that we regret doing, but, but we're reaping the consequences of. We have the circumstances in our lives that we actually didn't have any control over, but they happened to us and they've brought great pain and hurt. There are things that are about us that we can't change, but brings a, a dark spot into our life. Well, that's great for Ruth, but how does that, how does that work for me? Because not everyone has the beautiful story of Ruth and Naomi. But see, there's another layer to this story that, mean, that makes it so that this story actually literally intersects with your life. It's that if Ruth is the great-grandmother of David, that means she's the ancestral mother to Jesus. Do you realize what that means? That means Jesus had Moabite blood running through his veins. That means that God, when he sat back and said, okay, I'm sending my son Jesus, God in the flesh, I'm sending him, I can construct his ancestry however I want. It's not random to God. He can do whatever he wants. And he said, Ruth the Moabite, I want you to be a mother of Jesus Christ. That means if Jesus could go back and see a picture of Ruth, he might look at it and look and see if there's any facial features that are similar to him that he carries on or if there's any mannerisms or personality traits that he might have that were from Ruth. She is an ancestral mother to Jesus. And because, she, because that's part of her redemption, that changes how the redemptive nature of the story, because this points to Jesus, it blows this whole story up. Can we walk back through this for a second? Naomi not only goes from a house of death to a house of life, but Naomi's house, house of death, becomes the house that gives the rest of the world the author of life, Jesus Christ. She not only goes from being bitter at God to servant of God, but through her lineage, through that baby she's holding in her hands, will one day give birth to the great servant of God, the suffering servant of God, who out of his worship to Almighty God will take the pain and agony of the cross to pay our sins, to pay our debts, to be our redeemer so that we can be forgiven and will rise again, sealing our redemption for eternity. Through her line, the great servant of God will come. Naomi goes, or Ruth goes, from barren to a birth, but she's not just giving birth to this child here. Do you, do you realize? By being the ancestral mother to Jesus Christ, she has a piece of his life, which means she is in part your spiritual mother. Do you realize this Ruth that we're reading about 
God used her so that Jesus Christ could come and redeem us. There's a part that Ruth has played in your redemption. There's a way in which she is one of your spiritual mothers. She goes, Ruth goes from widow to wife, but through her line, she'll one day give birth through that line to the great bridegroom of humanity who pursued us, his bride, to such a degree he would stop at nothing so that he could have us for eternity. But she goes from shame to honor. She goes from being a Moabite to down through that line, one day the one will come who will take away all shame. She goes from outcast to being the mother of the one down the line who will take all of the outcasts and bring them in because hundreds of years later it will be in the, those redemptive fields of Boaz where redemptive, redemption started. It will be in those redemptive fields of Boaz, those fields outside of Bethlehem where a group of outcasts will be sitting, shepherds who no one has, wants anything to do with, and those shepherds will be sitting in those fields tending their flocks by night, and God will say, because the Redeemer is here, I want these group of outsiders to hear about it. And he sends the, the choirs of heaven to appear and to say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Because born to you, you, you outcasts, born to you this day in the city of David is Jesus who will be Christ the Lord. It's through that line in those fields of Boaz that the outcasts will be brought in. See, here's what we learn about redemption. Christian, maybe you've heard the Bible say, he works all things together for good. Do you know that means more than just, I have a plan, don't worry about it. You'll figure it out one day, I'll reveal it to you, but there's a reason. You Maybe you've heard that Jesus says, I make all things new. Do you know that means more than just, I'm recreating something in heaven that's so good it will distract you from all the hurt and the pain that's happened before that. It means so much more because he's a redeeming God, which means he's reaching into our lives and the pain and the hurt and the brokenness, the things we have done, the things we had no control over. He's reaching into that part of our life and he's redeeming it, he's restoring it, he's turning it inside out. He says, that pain in your past, that piece of grief in your life, that piece of regret, that shame, that part that you carry with you, those chains, I am in the process of reaching into those parts and I'm going to turn them upside down, turn them from shame to glory. I'm going to turn them from death to life. I'm going to turn those things around and redeem them and not waste a single piece. Church, I look over this room and every one of us in here has a piece in our life of pain and hurt and brokenness. But understand what redemption means. He's going to turn it around and rework it for something good. C.S. Lewis put it like this. That is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, 
No future bliss can make up for it. Not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. Lewis's friend, uh, Tolkien, also a Christian, wrote about this in his book, Lord of the Rings. And there's this moment where at the very end of the story, a guy named Sam Gamgee sees this guy named Gandalf, who he thought had been dead all along, and at the very end of the story realizes he's not dead. And that character says this truth. He says, will all sad things come untrue? Christian, that's the story of this whole book. He's not only a Jesus who says, I will walk with you through your suffering. He's not only a Jesus that, that says, I'm there, I'm with you, I love you. He's a Jesus that says that I'm going to reach back into your life and I'm going to take that hurt and that pain and I'm going to turn it around, turn it inside out, reinvent that pain and I'm going to turn it into something beautiful. I'm going to take those, those ashes and make something beautiful out of those ashes. I'm going to redeem those hurts, those shames, those shackles. I'm going to redeem it into something powerful and beautiful. You just wait because I am your Redeemer, he says. Watch for your redemption, Christian. Hope for your redemption. Because those marks will turn into something glorious, those scars into something beautiful. Wait for your redemption. And see, we all as Christians, we join in our Christian heritage of the believers that have gone on before us that lived and died clinging to the same Savior we cling to and long for the day that our great Redeemer will return and appear again. And you say, well, I, I want to long for Jesus' return, but what does that look like? What, what would make me long for Jesus' return? Because Christian, it's the return of your Redeemer. And here's what the whole story of the Bible, it ends with this phrase in Revelation 22. It says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Because when he appears again at any moment, it could be this afternoon, it could be tomorrow, it could be 10 years from now, 100 years from now. But when our Jesus returns, it's the moment of our Redeemer coming back to us when he will make all of these things come undone and reveal them in all of their beautiful glory. So hold on, Christian, and wait for how your Redeemer is going to redeem every part of your life. And today, some of you need to run to your Redeemer. He's opening his arms wide to you and saying, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Can we take a quiet moment between us and God? Would you just bow your heads? Christian, run to your Redeemer today. Hope in your Redeemer today.
Because the moment that he walked out of that tomb, your redemption, he went to work on redeeming every piece of your life. Hope in your Redeemer. But some of you need to come find your Redeemer for the first time. You may be watching online or sitting here saying, I need to, I need to just put my faith in Jesus. I, I'm ready. I need to take that step today. And so if that's you, please, would you, would you just pray this prayer? Make this a silent prayer between you and God. Just repeat these words in your heart to him. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for paying for the debt of my sin. And thank you for redeeming me. I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.